I thinking for about the impossibles. I thinking to find the, the, the solution for impossible. The possible is easy for me. I don't looking for the possibles. I looking for the impossibles now. You're listening to Asylum Speakers, The Journey. I'm your host, Jazz O'Hara, and together with some very special guests, we'll be taking you on a journey across the world without you having to go anywhere. For this very special season of the podcast, we followed common migration routes taken by refugees and asylum seekers from Africa, the Middle East and Ukraine, all the way through Europe, documenting stories along the way. We spent time with people leaving their countries and everything behind them, to the volunteers and staff working alongside them and the host communities in each of the migration hotspots we visited. Many of the people we spoke to along this journey are being supported by projects funded by Comic Relief's Across Borders programme, which, thanks to the donations from the UK public, invest in organisations supporting refugees and asylum seekers along these routes. These first-hand accounts are here to educate, inspire and debunk some of the common myths and misconceptions around migration today. Listen carefully because... For many of these people, this podcast is the first opportunity they've had for their important story to be heard. Join us as we transcend borders, nationalities, religions and languages to hear from the people with which we share this world, our worldwide tribe. Welcome back to episode three of The Journey, a six-part podcast series following migration routes from Africa, the Middle East and Ukraine to Northern Europe. So far this season, we've explored the reasons why people are leaving their countries and we've taken a look at what life looks like in the first safe countries they arrive to. As a result of how difficult things can be in that first safe country, we also know that many people are forced to continue their journey until they find a country where they can live in safety. Today we'll be hearing from some familiar guests in Turkey and Egypt about the dangers and risks of their journeys, but first I'm excited to introduce you to an old friend of mine, Shikali. I met Shikali many years ago now in a refugee camp in Greece, while he was still on his journey. We stayed in touch as he continued to find the country that he would call home, and he eventually settled in France. Last time I saw him, about three years ago, he was living in a tent under a bridge in Paris. This time, though, we got together, still in Paris, but he has a room, he's learned French, and he turned up to meet me wearing a blazer, sunglasses, and just generally looking amazing. You might hear that I was not feeling so fresh during this interview. It was the end of a long trip, and I had a mad cold, so you'll probably hear that. But anyway, let's start from the beginning. Shikali is from Afghanistan and was forced to leave his country as a teenager after the Taliban specifically targeted his family because his dad worked for international aid organizations. When the Taliban is understand when my father is working, they're asking first for the money. My father said no, and then they, uh, they send the letter. We will be killed you. Shikali explains the day that his whole life changed. Every morning, 
my father said to me, be careful. Be careful when you go to school, be careful. Yeah. And then one day, my father is how appointment in the district. Our car is exploded by by mom, by control mine. You know. A controlled mine, so they put a mine on your yeah, car. Yeah, exactly. And then they, how old were you? 17 or 18 years. The Taliban succeeded in killing Shakali's father with an explosive device that they attached to his car. Shikali was also in the car and lost his leg in the attack. After that, that explosion, I, I lost my father. I am in the hospital for two and a half years. And then I... You I, had your leg amputated. Yeah, exactly. I amputated my leg. After my two leg. years? Yeah, after two and a half years. But Shikali was still not safe. Again, I, I received a letter from Taliban and they said, we tried to kill you and your father. Your father is dead, but you're not dead. We will be coming back and kill you. And then I, I decided to, to, to leave Afghanistan. Our family is fighting against the Taliban. Huh? They, they're fighting for the democracy there, and they died. I lose my, my, my legs there against the Taliban. Shikali never planned to end up so far from home and told me that he definitely never intended to come to Europe. Never have a plan to come into Europe. Just to Iran or Pakistan to stay there sometime. Uh-huh. He had planned to spend some time in neighbouring Iran or Pakistan until it was safe for him to return home. But life had other plans. Today we're going on this journey with him, from fleeing the Taliban in Afghanistan to a new home in France. Shikali didn't make the trip alone. He travelled with a lady that he now calls his sister and the five kids that she was travelling with who were from the same village. When I left Afghanistan, I met a family in the border. On the border, yeah. From some village. I know her. I met her in the border. Okay. And I said, where do you want to go? She said, we want to go to Europe. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, I, I want to go to Iran. You are my sister. And everywhere I go, you will be good with me. It's okay. She said yes. Okay. She had three children and two nephews. She was alone with all those kids? Yeah. Okay. So Shikali and this family crossed the mountains into Iran. So we walked like for many hours, for 15 or 18 hours. With one leg, just imagine that. I can't even imagine, Shikali, how difficult that must have been for you. It's very difficult. No one wants walking in the mountain with one leg. No one. But I don't do that, maybe I'm dead in there. They will be killing me. But life in Iran was not what they had hoped it would be. When I go to Iran, and also there is very complicated. There is not easy. And I see the people and everything. I said, no, is, I cannot stay here. You heard about the refugees, Afghan refugees in Iran. Yeah. More than two, 200 or 300 Afghan refugees killed, killed in, in Iran. Iran. You get very yeah. bad treatment in Iran. I left Afghanistan. I got in Iran after 16 days. 
from Afghanistan to Tehran, we, we are 16 days in the borders. In the Tehran, when I see I am I'm there for one day, for one day and I look in there, I, I have friends there. I see them, they work it like 20 hours for days, 24 hours, they're working for 20 hours. Construction, exactly. And I said, I said, no, it's not so good here. Yeah. I cannot stay here. I have a family with me. I said, we, if you want to go to Europe, I want to go to Turkey. And why will we see there? How is the situation there? Yeah. And I left. So Shikali saw the treatment of other Afghans in Iran, working 20 hours a day for minimal pay, and decided to continue to Turkey alongside the women and children he was travelling with. From Iran to Turkey, that's very difficult. We are 35 people. So you went the women, like we are, we are three men, and others, children and women. And there we lost a girl. She has uh, seven years. Under the track of the uh, smuggler, and she's dead there. And she's going under of the car. Mm. She's dead there. Then we cross the border of the Turk. Like we are walking like eighteen hours in the mountain, and there is the snow. 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 That's very cold for the children, and then for the women. And we are three men. We cannot help everybody. Mm. And then... And even yourself, like how was the pain for your, in your leg? I, at that time, I don't thinking about it because that's very difficult. I know and that's because my, my leg is wounded. My leg is wounded. When I coming into Turkey and I take out uh, my, my prosthetic and get the, the blood mm-hmm. in my leg, and then I don't thinking about it because I just, they are children. They are very important. And then, in Turkey, after I see, one, after one hour we are in the house, I cannot move it. It's very difficult to move it. Shukali made it to the capital city of Turkey, Istanbul. And then we are coming to the Istanbul, and I see this Istanbul, and there is good. And I said, yeah, I, said, I will be still here. You guys hopefully remember what life looks like for refugees in Turkey from our last episode, and Shikali was quick to find this out too. I meet a lot of Afghan people, and they say here is not good because you cannot ask for the asylum here. And when the police ask for the papers, you don't have a paper, they will deport you in Afghanistan. Okay, so the other Afghan people that you met, yeah. they told you don't yeah. stay here, it's difficult here. Then I, I said, yeah, I will be good in Greece. So Shikali and the family made the decision to attempt to enter Europe by crossing the sea to the Greek island of Lesvos. How did you get to Lesvos from Turkey? Two o'clock tomorrow of the morning. We left the Turkey from Izmir. And we are this small uh, ship, 12 meter. Yeah, a small boat. 75 people. I, I worried a lot because I already I heard about that. 
and I wore it, that's very crazy. You knew how dangerous it was. Yeah, that's very dangerous. Three and a half hours, we are in the beach. If the Greek police, the Greek police is not coming, we will be dead, everybody there. The machine of chief yeah. is a problem. The engine, the engine was going yeah, in and exactly. out. After two and a half hours, we see a small light from somewhere. Very far sorry, away. Sorry, a long way from us. That's the police of Greek, and they take us in the Greece. And we are good in the Lesbos. So Shikali and the other people in his boat were saved by the Greek Coast Guard and brought to the infamous Moria camp on Lesbos, which Shikali describes as a prison. For four and a half months, we are still there. That's a prison, that's a jail. For 6,000, more than 6,000 people is to one camp. But the camp is closed like prison, that is a prison. We don't have right to get out of uh, the camp. But Shikali had a guardian angel on Lesbos who was determined to help him leave the island. Here is a volunteer, she said to me, you will be not still here. Because my leg is wounded, my prosthetic leg is broken. He said, no, you will be not still here. Never, I cannot forget it. We got the peoples to travel in to the, the Greece. Yeah. yeah, to travel in the Greece, in all Greece. No? Yeah. And that way we got in, in, in Athens. So Shikali and the family got the ferry to Athens, where again they found themselves in yet another difficult living situation. We have a bad situation here. We are in the tents. That's very hot. Yeah. In the Inofita camp. I remember. This camp in Greece, Inofita, just outside of Athens, is where I first met Shikali. I met a lot of people there, a lot of volunteers, a lot of Afghans. Is this where you learned to speak English? Yeah, I, I practice English there. But I forgot now, but it's okay, no problem. It's pretty impressive to me. <laughs> Something truly heartbreaking happened to Shikali whilst living in this camp in Greece, and I remember this day well. I lost my friend. Did he, did he drown, Bilal? Is that what happened? I don't understand what happened to him. And they swimming like 7 o'clock or 7 p.m. 7 p.m., 7 o'clock of the evening. And in the, I don't know how, what happened to them. Shikali's friend Pilal had gone swimming in the sea one evening and drowned. Shikali explains how he was told the news by the head of the camp, an American lady called Lisa Campbell. 9 o'clock, some, someone is coming to said to me, Ali, Ali, coming. Lisa, want to see you. And I said, I was sleeping just now. I said, I want to sleep. And then again, the people is coming. And when I go to there, I see Lisa Kampal is crying. I told them what happened. They, when they said, I, after I don't understand where I am. This tragedy was the trigger for Shikali to make the decision to leave Greece. Everywhere in the camp, I see the something is from blood. You see his face everywhere? Yeah. Everywhere in the camp, I see him. So I said, no. I left Greece. Shikali's journey from Greece to Italy is one of the craziest parts of this story. 
He paid a smuggler 800 euros to help him hide underneath a truck. I was talking with the smugglers, I gave the 800 euros from the smugglers and they helped me to go to under track of the commune. Under the track of the what? Commune. Commune? Trailer. Trailer of, of the, the truck. Train, the the truck. truck. Yeah, on the truck of That's the where I've seen a picture of you uh, from, I think. Yeah, exactly. For 36 hours. Oof. Oh my God. After 36 hours, Shikali rolled out from underneath the truck when it stopped for petrol, narrowly missing, falling under its wheels as it drove away. In the, in the, in the, in the, in the petrol pump, station. In the petrol station. This is the tire of the car. And I coming out, just, I, I turn it like this, the car is go. Oh my God, so it nearly ran you over. Yeah, exactly. Just one second. One second, oh if I don't turn it, I will be dead there. And then I, I coming out and I see I'm black. Oh. He's covered in, covered yeah. in like, yeah, yeah petrol yeah, and exactly. dirt. And All over you. I'm very hungry. You must have been so hungry and thirsty and tired. But this, the, the bad thing is when I come in here and the petrol station, the, he said to me, don't come in here, don't come in here. I said, I have money. You want to buy some I food? need some things. He said, no, don't come in. Oh. He told you not to come inside? Yeah, exactly. Why? I don't know. I, I'm the blah. I see him. Wow, he's crazy or what? Okay, so they just something basically like, were scared yeah. of you or something. Yeah. After Shikali was refused entry to the petrol station, he realised he was in the middle of nowhere and began walking towards some lights in the distance. I see there is nothing. There is just a jungle. Oh my God. There is nothing. And I walk for like six hours. I see the light and I follow the lights. For six hours. Walking, walking, walking. Two o'clock of the night. Shikali finally found himself in a village with an open shop. But the shampoo, biscuits and juice that he was able to buy were not all they seemed. Two o'clock of the night, I'm in the same village in, the, in Italy. And then I found a shop. I have money, like 500 euros. I wash it like my, my, my hair and yeah. everything like that. Again, I'm, I, that's not easy to do because I'm like... Covered in... Yeah, I change the color, everything. I need the shower. I find the shampoo and I take the biscuit, something like this. And also I get a juice and I drink the juice. I see that is alcohol. Oh no! I said, shit, what happened? And that's the last time of the shop. You bought it. alcohol yeah. by accident. <laughs> that is like uh, grapes. The oh. grapes picture is in the, in the juice. You thought it was and grape said, juice. That's it, that's, yeah. It was wine. That's wine. <laughs> You needed Italian. some pizza or some pasta. Nothing is there. There is not. It's a small village. Yeah. And I asking from the people and there is, where is the train station? Where is the train station? And they say, go, 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 go. And there is the trains. Trains is working 24 hours. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Uh, that's very cold. Oh, cold. Just a t-shirt. I have a t-shirt. Where, where did you get the train to? Uh, to Milan. Ah, oh, you got the train to Milan. Yeah. 
On the overnight train to Milan, Shikali noticed the other passengers in his cabin giving him some odd looks. I took the train and that's like a room. The train is like a room. Six people is in the one room. Like a cabin? Like a cabin, exactly. After five or six minutes, I slept. It's like this. Oh, they were they looking at you. And after one stop, one station, and there is three other girls is coming. I look at them. I see them. They watched me. One who look at him. What, who is this? Who is him? Shikali made it to Milan, where he spent the night in a refugee camp. In Milan, there's a good a camp, a refugee camp, and I take the shower, everything. Oh my god, you must have felt so Today, good. I took some clothes from the shop and really good clothes. So clothes. you found a refugee camp in Milan? In the night, yeah. But uh-huh. you can stay there for the night. Shikali took this opportunity to suss out what life was like for refugees in Italy. I see there is the people, everybody, refugees, not good. For everything is not good in Italy, that's yeah. complicated. And then I say I will be good to France. And when I came here in France, I got the train, but the train is not working because the French police closed the border uh-huh. and they're asking for the peoples. So Shikali decided to continue his journey to France. Whereas many of us could easily travel this route by train, Shikali didn't have the documents he needed, so he was forced to use another smuggler. This one, however, took Shikali's money and did not deliver on his end of the deal. I'm talking with the smuggler and I gave him 500 euros to help me to go to Lyon. Okay. And then uh, he left me in the mountain. He took the 500 euros, but he left me in the nice mountains. There I could not find the way. So he didn't take you to Lyon? No. He just dropped you off? Or? Yeah, exactly. He dropped me somewhere in the jungle and he said maybe another car will be coming there. And I stayed there for, for five, two hours. And no one is coming for looking me. And then I walk it, I walk it, walk it, walk it, walk it. Oh but I God. find the city. I don't have one euro with me. They take the, the, the money from me and then they lift me. So Shikali got on the train to Paris, but he faced still more challenges. Speak English there, that's the good thing. Yeah. I'm asking which train is in the port of Paris. The control of the train is coming, looking at me. I said, ticket. I said, I don't have a ticket. When I'm here in Paris, already they call the police. When my friend is coming to looking at me, jail like for four days. Your friend went to jail for four days yeah. just for coming to they, look for to, you? To look, to look, look at me, yeah. At the station? In the station, Garde Lyon. Shikali's friend was arrested and imprisoned for four days, just for waiting for Shikali here. But Shikali himself found a clever way around not being arrested for travelling without a ticket. Okay, so you arrived at Garde Lyon <laughs> in Paris, and the police was already there waiting for you because you didn't have a ticket. Mm. So what did you do? I said I'm under the age. Ah, clever. And then they transferred me somewhere, and there's like a, a house, and, and I'm eating very good. They gave me the clothes. I got, good, I got beards you. there. Everything is good. But after Shikali told the truth about his age, he was left to fend for himself on the streets of Paris. 
Here is a lot of difficulty, a, a lot of difficult, a lot of problems. I still two months in the street and I still four and a half years for the papers. That, that's very complicated. So after you left that house with the um, unaccompanied minors, and because you said you were there for 15 days, yeah, then mm. you said, I'm actually, I'm not underage. Then you spent two months in the street. Mm. In a tent or? In the tents, in the, in, under the bridge. But Shikali had always been resourceful and he used the tools he had available to him to raise some awareness about his situation. And there is, I take a video, a selfie video. And I said, I'm here and here's our situation. That is the tent, so I shoot my tent. And then the, the volunteer is coming for locking me. One Afghan guy, guy he coming for me. There is a, two girls for locking you. He said, Ali, where is Ali? And he said, here is a lot of Ali. He said, well, which one is don't have Ali? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ali with one leg. Yeah. And I said, yeah, that's one is me. <laughs> yeah, this, that's one is me. And that Afghan guy said to me, who are you? I said, I'm a refugee, that's my tent. No, are you not normal like uh, uh, others? You thought you were famous or something? Yeah. Lots of people saw Shikali's video on social media and sought him out to do what they could to help him. It's from Netherlands, from Germany, from Canada, from United States, from England, from Greece, from Italy. They say, what do you need? I said, I don't, I don't need nothing. And then uh, another girl, French girl, she had come to see the doctor yeah. for my legs because of my legs, I have a problem for my legs. Yeah. That's wounded and then I cannot walk it. Okay. Uh, she helped me and she It was she swollen, I yeah, think, right? Yeah, it it, was... No, she's one, that's what he wounded. Wounded, wounded like wounded, le, yeah. le, legging, like something like this. Lesion. Lesion. Yeah. I cannot walk it. One of the volunteers gave Shikali a bed for a few nights and an opportunity to shower. She said me coming with me in my house with her boyfriend and I still there with her and I take to do normally. Yeah. Shower? Yeah, uh, shower and then I still sleep very good there oh. for two, three days. And then something happened that Shikali had been working towards his whole life. Yeah, after two months they gave me a, a room. The French authorities, they give yeah. you a room? Yeah. And Shikali was able to breathe again and begin integrating into life in France. So the first and important thing is to another society, to another country, is the language. If I don't speak the language, I will never understand here the culture or the everything here in the French society. Uh-huh. Oh, first thing, I will be learning the French. I want to find some school, something like that. Right. How's your French doing? It's perfect. My French is good, yeah. Completely perfect now. Not very perfect because French is very difficult. What do you think is better, your French or your English? My French is better. Really? Wow. My French is very better than than English. Then your French must be pretty amazing. Your English is very good. When when I come here in France, uh, then I started to start learning French. 
And I forgot a lot of words from English. Like, but you're good, man. You, you were speaking French, English, and. Very Pashto Persian. Wow, I mean. I understand Arabic, uh, Indian also, a little bit, but that's it. <laughs> After one week, a woman, she called me and she said, me, I find you a school for you. Mm. And then I started French language. And after seven months, I, I got my two diplomas. I find me to French society. And that's when you started to integrate. Yeah. I started to talking French. <laughs> Could you say it in French? Oui, je voudrais parler français. Je comprends le français. Et là, j'habite en France. Je suis à l'université. Je continue mes études en français. Nice. So good. <laughs> But remember what he said, right? He anything that's possible, it's too like easy for him. Impossible. He yeah, likes the impossible. True. That's so true. <laughs> so Shikali's incredible story has a happy ending, and his life can now begin again. But not everyone has this same experience, and millions of asylum seekers are still on their journey to safety. Let's hear again from Anne O'Rourke. We met her in the last episode when she took us on a tour of her community center called Tiafi in Turkey. But Anne has volunteered and worked in migration hotspots across Europe and has a lot of first-hand experience of just how difficult people's journeys can be. Anne shared with us the story of when her sister Lisa came out to meet her in Athens and they headed to a particularly tricky border crossing at the time between Macedonia and Greece, despite their husband's reservations. My sister, who loves this kind of work, she managed to, to get away from the kids and her husband said to her, you know, go to Athens, Lisa, but do, and under no circumstances can you go up to the Macedonia border because at the time there was all sorts of trouble at the Macedonia yeah. border, 14,000 refugees up there. I met her at the airport anyway. So I said, I have a car. And she said, great. <laughs> Both of us, even she said to me, Where are we going? And I said, There's the map, Macedonia. Uh, oh, yeah! <laughs> so she says, Don't tell Kelch. I said, oh, You don't tell Tom, and I won't tell Kelch, right? <laughs> so we headed to the Macedonia border and um, and did loads of mad things, like loads of mistakes. You know, we had, she had collected some money and kind of, you know, bought a load of toys and stupid things, and then, you know, Then all of a sudden, like the car was like people were on top of us. We couldn't even get out of the car. We were jammed in the car at stage where people tried to grab things. And the Macedonia border was a really, it was a very eye-opening experience because there was 14,000 people there and they were hoping that the border was going to be open and they were all waiting. I don't know if you've been to the Macedonia, yeah. but you know they're all waiting at that, at that fence basically at the time. That's what they're waiting. And then there was a bit of violence, you know, and then there was a lot of women by themselves mm -hmm. in tents. So I remember I, at one stage, I had 500 euros left of my donation money. And I was there and I was thinking, what, what would you do with this money that's going to make it worthwhile, you know? So I was thinking, thinking and my mother was a great card player, you know? She was a card shark, you know? And uh, she was playing all the tournaments. I'm a grandmother. So I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll buy cards, you know? So I went off and I bought like hundreds of packs of good cards. And they play a game where you use the pen and paper and cards, you know. And then I started to distribute them. You know, I give them only to the, only to the adults, only to the men initially, because they were getting really crazy. They were so bored, you know. 
remember one night I was walking through the place with somebody and it was there was no lights you know it was kind of you know it was starting to get dark and then there was one tent and there was like a family playing the cards and then there was a few kids over here playing cards and then there was a fella another fella about four fellas and they were fighting with one another playing the cards and then we ended up meeting a group from Holland and we got together and we did a thing where we bought these waka waka lamps they're flat flat light powered by the sun you call it a little um, solar panel wow. at the back of it. We got something Brilliant. like 1,500. Wow. Walk a walk. And then we went to all the women in the tents, particularly women by themselves, you yes. know, and they all ended up with the, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the lights. So we did all that sort of stuff, and that was great. Whilst Anne was at this border, she experienced some of the pretty extreme intimidation tactics used by the authorities in this region. I don't know if you were there and knew about it, but the experience where we were there one day and the next month there's these fighter jets flying over, you know. Oh, it was awful. Oh, it was just awful. I'll never forget. It's fighter jets. And next month people are just going down and they're letting knees. There's a woman beside me and she just went down in the heap. And she was saying, oh my God, you know. And then I was like, what the hell is going on? Like, you know, everybody's screaming. The women are screaming. Everybody's running. And they all think it's, there's, there's gonna, they're, they're coming to bomb them, they're coming to kill them, you know, and, and, they, and they, 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 they land and the soldiers jump out of them like you see in the films. Oh. I, have the, I have pictures of it. And we, we managed to get on to the Irish police and I knew somebody that was out there. And I said to him, what is going on? The people are crying, they're sick, they're vomiting. And he said, he would contact the authorities and they said it was an exercise. And I remember just saying, it's the cruelest thing I've ever seen. Lisa and I ended up in a field. We were probably right, we shouldn't have probably gone. We ended up in a field and they were shooting rubber bullets from the Macedonia side. Mm -hmm. And and again, I have all the pictures of the rubber bullets. I have all the pictures of everything. And and we were running around with milk and um, lemon, you know, trying to get people. You know, their faces were all, um, you know, there's what you call the tear gas. gas. The tear gas was all over the place. Lisa got loads of it. She was crying, roaring, and there was kids roaring, everybody was roaring, it was just it was just mental yeah. and I kept saying to myself, you're in Europe and you're in Europe, you're in Greece, you're in Greece you're in Greece, you're in Greece, only ever experienced Greece in a bikini on a beach yeah. before that, yeah, you know, exactly. and you know, here you are you're in Greece, you're in Greece, you're in Greece, convince yourself you're in Greece, you know, I had to keep reminding myself I was in Greece, and then I thought the cruelty of it, mm-hmm. the cruelty of it, and then of course they're saying, oh, there was no rubber bullets used I was, we had a war in the north of Ireland, you know. I know what a rubber bullet is. Unfortunately, what Anne is describing is not a unique situation. I've also personally seen similar tactics, uh, such as tear gas and pepper spray used against vulnerable people living in camps such as the Calais jungle by the authorities there. Brace yourselves, because the next bit of this podcast gets dark. But I truly believe that the least that we can do from the comfort of our homes is to be aware that this is happening. Oh, there's terrible trouble with on the borders. I mean, the young boys are getting murdered, you know? Yeah. We were reading murdered. a story, just an article from just the other day of, like, women and children, like, infants getting thrown into a boat or thrown into the water. By yeah, the they do that, yeah. Border yeah. patrol. Yeah, they do that. And also some of the traffickers will do it. If, say, they're going out late in the night, you know, and they're trying to, it has to be quiet, and the child's, particularly small babies, if they start to cry, they, I've heard of stories where they have actually thrown them into the sea and drowned them. There was one husband, wife, and two, two children, one new baby, 
and the, the trafficker threw the child, the, the new baby, into the sea. And the father jumped in. The father drowned with the baby. And the mother, by the time she got to Greece, she was by herself with an eight-year-old. And that was only a few weeks ago. So I, 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 I find it difficult to go to Greece, to go to the islands on a boat, you know, in the big boats. I can't look down into the sea, you know, because I just keep imagining all the little bodies in the sea. You know, when you, you're, you're going across on this boat, takes an hour from Cherishme, and you're looking down, you're thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to see a body in a minute. I mean, there, there's people on some of the islands. I mean, there's some great people on some of the islands that actually just take the bodies and they bury them. And then they keep some of the belongings and then they put them in kind of, you know, safe places. And then and they mightn't have a name, but they and then they would have a description. And then they keep little records where if somebody ever comes back, that they can they can maybe find the wife or they can find because we had situations in, in the islands where they'd start off with a family of four by the time they got to the islands it'd be like it was one father and son left and the mother and the, another little girl as well another drowned and he cried for two days and, and they just cried in the room for two days and then the following day they were on the big boat to Athens and they, they you know they had done the papers and they were on the big boat and they were going to Athens so the father and son were going to Athens and all he kept saying was I, I don't know where she is, like, you know, like, I, I don't know where she is, you know, she'd be just washed up somewhere, I don't know where they are. What could you do? You had to just, they had to just go, like, you know. He knew she was landing and she knew, he knew the child drowned, but he couldn't, he kept saying, but where is she? You know, like, I, I don't know where she is, you know. And what could we say to him? You know, she's she's in the sea somewhere, like, we don't know when will she be washed up anywhere. You know, did she? Yeah, I mean, she was obviously drowned, but the body would be washed up, but we, we'll never know where she is, you know? So I think we've got a pretty good idea of how dangerous these journeys can be, both from Shakali and Anne. But let's hear again from Susie. You might remember her from last week's episode where she talked about life in Egypt after leaving her country of Eritrea at 15. Susie told me some of the dangers, particularly faced by women and girls on their journeys. The journey is very bad, very bad from Ethiopia to Sudan. It was not that safe. You have scary, you feel scared in there is a lot of things might happen to you. There are females, even if you don't have money, they think only one thing they want from you, this money there is. You don't have money, but you have something, and you need to do that. And if you don't pay, you will be forced to do that, which is very, it puts yourself in bad situation or bad feeling. It's a difficult thing to say out loud, but Susie is not the only woman who has told me this. If you don't have money, the smugglers will make you pay in other ways, and many women and young girls arrive to their destinations pregnant as a result. Everything is scary in the way you saw skeletons, people die, it's very bad. Did you cross through the Sahara? Yeah. Wow. But Susie has managed to successfully turn her horrifying experience into something positive. She now works to support newly arriving refugees in Cairo and finds strength and fulfillment in doing so. Now I'm growing up, I'm adults. <laughs> but I imagine people who are coming now, seeing that in uh, their story, 
might not be the same, but it can be similar. Mm-hmm. So imagine how I'm feeling now. And the same things they are feeling, mm-hmm. and the same things they are suffering. So when we we accept newcomer, when you try to give them emotional support, you need to support them. You feel very relief because no one was there for me, but I'm there for them. I feel very comfortable and confident to be to assist them. Yeah, because who better than somebody who experienced it themselves? Yes. Finally, let's go back to lovely Rashid in Cairo, who we heard from in episode one about why he left Somalia. His journey was tumultuous and he was imprisoned along the way. After seven days in one prison, he managed to escape and make his way onto an overnight train. Here he told me about the kindness of a stranger who sat next to him. The seat was a black man who was sitting with me and the whole night I didn't eat anything. I feel, feel hungry, you know, I was seven days in prison. Just Even I didn't drink the water, so in the morning, the guy was sitting near to me. He buy some food and he said, eat. And I said, no, no, thank you. He said, you have to, you didn't eat until that. You have to eat. When he said like this, I, I recognize he's nice. And just like I eat quick last, I can't know, like I was very hungry, so. And I drink the water, he gave me the water, I finish. He gave me another one, so I finish. <laughs> well, like, he gave me three and I finish. I drink a lot of water. After that, I said like, uh, can you speak English? He said, yeah, I can. So I said like, I'm from Somalia. I need my judge, please help me. So, he said, okay, I will help you. He put the charger on my phone and I was sleeping the whole night. And next day I was sleeping. So tired. I was, so, I was so tired. Yeah, I was so tired. It was from his mum that Rashid drew the strength to continue his journey. I was learning from my mum. She was always saying to me, yeah, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be, like, to be alone. It's okay to be scary. But... You don't need like to give up. You just like do whatever that you can. So I was doing everything I can. That's... When I remember my mom, I, I feel like I'm full half and full energy. Because I know she was very sick and she was walking day and night. So when I just like remember her, I'm so young, I'm still 15 years old. My mom, she even when I talk to her, she's like, she brought with me and she encouraged me a lot, and encouraged me for everything. So when I speak to her, I was even crying, but she encouraged me. She was like saying like nice word for me and just brave. You can do this, you can do this, you can do this. You don't need to cry, you don't need to, to be sad. Rashid spoke about how difficult it was to actually make informed decisions about which route to take. Some people, they travel for Libya, some people, they travel for... For Egypt, it was very hard for me to like, take decision. Are you going to Libya or are you going to Egypt? I tried to, to cross for the Mediterranean Sea. It's difficult today. The boys, they give me, they catch me, then we go back. Some people, they cross and they go to Italy. Some, and so you went on the boat? Yeah, I would try even. I'd From try. Libya? No, no. From Egypt? From Egypt. So was traveling you? Egypt to it, uh, Egypt to Italy. It's very far. It's very far. Me and my friends, we tried many times, but 
we didn't get chance to, to cross them. Some people they cross, some people they die. Uh, a lot of people they die. How many times did you try? For me, I try three times, I guess. Wow. Were you scared then? It's so dangerous, Rashid. It was very, yeah, it was very dangerous, but also, you cannot survive for Egypt. You have to try something that you're better than. And that's it, right? You have to try for something better. Life in Egypt is barely surviving. The hope for your future, that seems to be the driving force behind these journeys. In this episode, we have explored the risks and challenges faced as people cross land and sea to find safety. Next week, we will be exploring pushbacks, one of the biggest obstacles faced by asylum seekers along their journeys that often sets them back days, weeks, months, and even years. It's a shocking but very important episode to listen to. Thank you for listening to this episode of Asylum Speakers, The Journey, brought to you in collaboration with Comic Relief and organisations funded through Comic Relief's Across Borders programme. You can find out how to support Comic Relief's work at comicrelief.com. To find out more about the people in today's show, check out the links in the show notes. Also remember that I'm always open to thoughts and feedback. To get in touch, send me a direct message on Instagram at the Worldwide Tribe. Other actions you can take to support this podcast and join the Worldwide Tribe are to visit our shop and to buy a t-shirt or a hoodie, or you can donate. All details are in the show notes and in my Instagram bio. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate it, share it and leave a review. It helps more people to find this podcast and it helps me to keep bringing you these stories. The more people who come on this journey with us, the more connected we all become and the more we unite as one Worldwide Tribe. A big shout out to Alexander Wells at alexanderwells.co.uk for our audio production and original score and to Ez Stone for mixing this episode.